Where Does Food, the food history podcast where we podcast about mechanically processed food. I'm your host, Tim, and with me, as always, is your other host. What's up, you guys? I'm Elle. And today, we have a super special episode that Elle actually doesn't know anything about. Anything about, about. yeah. Um, I'm on the mystery the, trip uh, as you guys are. The episode title on our on our preamble on our pre-production uh, page just says fast food scandals and I have uh, taken some liberty here with that and I just oh, kind of thought of something that I really wanted to talk about and that is about the scandalous scary pink slime no Tim oh my goodness yeah okay yeah, remember pink slime, L? Yes. How could I not remember? <laughs> yes. Yes, pink slime. L, uh, what do you know about pink slime? What's your knowledge on pink slime? Um, really, the few things that trigger the pink slime is usually chicken nuggets, and then mm. then the infamous, which is funny, <laughs> uh, like the Jamie Oliver episode. When he yeah. was, he was, yeah. yeah. When he was, trying, he was trying to get the little kids to eat, just like I think vegetables, and he was like, "This is what goes." Yeah, and they were like, "Don't care." Yeah, it is funny that you think of chicken nuggets mm-hmm. uh, when it is mostly attributed to hamburger. I know it's actually mostly attributed. Isn't to that beef weird? And not chicken, but I that Jamie Oliver in in the same vein, he did have an episode that was also about like pink slime and what they do to the beef or whatever. We'll talk about it. And I have my qualms. (laughs) So uh, this is, this is going to be a wild episode. I am kind of the guy who constantly tells people to like, enjoy. Yes, this is true. What you have in front of you. Yeah. Like, I mean, you walk into the supermarket and you have so many options and like the systems in place. I have mentioned that the systems in place, they they have their issues and they're not, you know, they're not bulletproof. You know, food supply has its problems. But this is going to be an interesting episode because it it's going to seem pretty scandalous. I mean, it is known <laughs> as a, a scandal. Like it, it's it's holding true to the name. It's one of those things. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that um it, it it's got a lot to it and I, I I always recommend the show notes, but I recommend the show notes okay. for this episode. Go read every article that I'm going to post. I'm actually going to post a link, uh, Michael Moss's uh, Pulitzer Prize um, article, because it's like he did like an eight or nine part series of just food safety in general, and he won a Pulitzer for it. Uh, And it's wonderful work. So the amount of reading that I've done for this is not going to reflect in what ends up in this episode, if that makes sense. Yes. Not that it's not all good information, just that like, we're on a time budget here, so like, I'm not, I'm not going to like verbatim nine fucking New York Times articles. <laughs> so, you know, I, you know, it's pick and choose and stuff like that. So that's the audio book um, series later. Let's, yeah, let's talk about what pink slime yes. is. Um, so it's also known as and officially really known as lean, finely textured beef or LFTB. Um, or finely textured beef, FTB, or boneless lean beef trimmings, BLBT, um, which is too close to BLT, mm-hmm. so we'll stick to mm-hmm. the LFTB. <laughs> and it is a meat byproduct used as a food additive to ground beef and beef-based processed meats. It can be used as a filler to reduce the overall fat content of ground beef, and just specifically what it is, is during the butchering process, they take the fat trimmings off and it's, you know, it's got some muscle tissue in there, but it's like a lot of fat, mostly just like fat and gristle. This stuff Mm. previously was used for, uh, and it's mentioned a lot. When I was researching this, it's just mentioned so much like it's used for uh, dog food and like had been used for uh, like animal food and then like tallow, which it oh, still wow. gets used for tallow. That Because I'll explain like how that works. So they they take the fat trimmings, 
And while it does have some muscle tissue in there, it's just not enough to consider it ground beef as is. Uh, ground beef can only have 30% fat um, okay. in it to be considered ground beef, which is why you don't see anything less uh, than like 70, 30 mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to like your ground beef options. That's really the fattest it can be according to like USDA standards. And um, they, however, there is this like these scraps, this leftover okay. that, you know, can get used. And uh, Eldon Roth, who is the CEO of Beef Products Incorporated, um, sounds BPI, fake. Okay, uh, this pod this this podcast is going to be about BPI just as much as it it is about uh, LFTB. So get ready to hear BPI a lot. Um, he set out to create a process to get uh, to use the scraps functionally. Uh, and what you do with it is you simmer it at 100 degrees, and that helps separate the fat from the lean tissue. And then it gets put through a centrifuge, which like a big one, um, and that separates the liquid fat from the lean tissue. And that then appetizing. Uh, it Alrighty. gets... Okay. Yeah, and then it gets um, compressed and flash frozen. And then it gets put through a chamber where it gets sprayed with a gaseous ammonia uh, treatment. And that gets rid of all of the bacteria because that uh, fatty tissue that is being cut off is specifically privy to E. coli and salmonella. Okay. More so than other cuts of beef. So is that's why it gets this whole thing. Um, mm. The end result is a meat product that it, I've read ranges from 95 to 97% lean meat. Um, that's what the end product is. And then the other fat gets sold as tallow. If you don't know what tallow is, it's literally just like beef fat. That's it. It's just a thing you use for cooking, things like that. So okay. now we're going to, we're going to get into the scandal and all that stuff, but before we do that, let's just take a break. We need a, we need a break. We need to decompress for a second. Yeah. Live with what you now know pink slime is. Live with it. <laughs> which, is, which is a highly processed product. They found a little bit of that pink slime. Okay. Welcome back. Let's start with the history. A lot of what I'm about to mention in this next portion again it is by michael moss of the new york times like i said he won a pulitzer prize for this work uh back in 2009 so a lot of this stuff is back you know in the uh, early aughts and right before the tens and i will also say that most people remember pink slime from the 2012 like abc thing we'll get to it but yes before that before that it was michael moss really breaking open the uh, the story on kind of beef and food safety. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, in the 90s, the USDA uh, Food Safety and Inspection Service, uh, service FSIS, they uh, approved the use of that technology that creates the uh, finely textured meat. And then in 94, there was a lot of concern over E. coli and beef. There was a lot of concern with beef in the 90s. You may remember mad cow disease. Um, yes. Which... Something, yes. Yeah, which was a big thing in Europe and actually not that big of a deal here. It was mostly a panic here. It was... There was not actually a lot of, like, mad cow... Like cases? ...in the States. Fun fact. So, but there was a lot of fear for it. And rightfully so um this like that is a big deal because uh mad cow it just takes a long time for it to ever show anything there's no cure and then when it does show it just Mm -hmm. kills you within a year so it's like yeah that's terrifying yeah it was a big it was a big deal and so the the fear here uh i don't know partially well deserved right like it's you're dealing with a lot of food processes and things like that but either way so there's just in general there's a lot of health concerns about e coli and beef things like that so this is when eldon roth began to work on the ph enhancement system which is what the ammonia does right this is what that um that gaseous ammonia bath helps with and then also in, in tandem with that compressing and then rapidly freezing it 
to 28 degrees Fahrenheit within, I believe it's within 90 minutes they do this. So it's like incredibly oh quick. So it goes That's from 100. So fast. It goes from 100 degrees to 28 degrees in 90 minutes. Uh, he set up this whole thing to, again, get rid of bacteria, salmonella, and E. coli. However, it wasn't until 2001 when this kind of gets to Washington. The beef was studied showing that this treatment works, right? Like they did studies, BPI okay. did studies, and then uh, they send it to Iowa State and a professor there, granted, company-sponsored, <laughs> published a professional journal uh, <laughs> com- confirming the findings that uh, BPI made. And, a little convenient, but okay. Yeah, yeah. and then myth- Mr. Ross... Uh, Mr. Roth asserted uh, even further that his product would kill pathogens uh, in untreated meat when it was used as an ingredient in ground beef. So he's what he's claiming is that he is making a product that is so free and it is meant to be mixed into other beef products that when you mix it with those, it's going to then help them not develop bacteria like salmonella and E. coli. And he said, given the technology, we firmly believe, this is a quote, (laughs) that the two pathogens of major concern in raw ground beef, E. coli and salmonella, are on the verge of elimination. Wow, bold statement. Bold statement. Um, You can kind of see where this is going. (laughs) uh, Freezing hot takes. The FDA signed off on the use of, of ammonia, which might scare people. <laughs> Again, it's ammonia. Just a little bit. Probably shouldn't be eating it. However, it is concluded safe as a processing agent in foods, and it's this product wasn't the first product to even do that. It's It was declared uh, safe uh, by limited consumption a while ago. Wow. I'm not here to give an opinion on that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> However, I haven't died from ammonia yet, so I think I think it's all right. So yeah, that's a fair. Yeah. <laughs> so they come out and pretty much say the USDA Food Safety Inspection Service says uh, that process eliminates E. coli to the same degree as if you cooked it in the product. And they decided it was so hmm. effective that in 2007, when the department began routine testing for meat used in hamburger, sold to the general populace. They exempted BPI from those exams. So... No. Why? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, however, this ruling in 2001, that this is safe, we're good to use it, it's fine. It's good for human consumption. Um, Like many things, there is some dissent within the organization. Uh, Carl Custer, uh, who's a USDA microbiologist, he said that other scientists... Uh, and himself were concerned that the department had approved the treated beef for sale without obtaining independent validation of the potential safety risk. Yes. Which, which is absolutely. true. It's Smart true. guy. They pretty much took two studies and they looked at it and said, yeah, send it. And then Gerald uh, Zernstein, he called the processed beef pink slime in a 2002 email. So he's the one that coined the term back in 2002. The term, yeah. And it was an email to the colleagues that I do not consider the stuff to be ground beef, uh, and I consider allowing it in ground beef to be a form of fraudulent labeling. Uh, he even goes Ooh. on further to say that it should be listed in ingredients. Uh, so, yeah, not to do so is, is fraud. And like I said, this is true. The USDA just kind of accepts BPI's results, and there's some issues. <laughs> so Interesting. The issues. I wish I could be more surprised about that, but I'm, I'm not. <laughs> right. <laughs> the issues. Uh, one of the early hurdles for BPI was actually the Agricultural Marketing Service, which is the USDA division that buys food for school lunches. So okay. they cited complaints about odor coming from the product. Um, In a 2002 memorandum, they had to determine if the addition of ammonia to the product is in the best interest to the AMS, Agriculture Marketing Service, from a quality standpoint. So they're just, you know, from from jump, they're already a little like, all right, like, are we really going to give this to children? Right. You know. Insane. Okay. Yeah. By the way, they end up, it ends up in school. Uh, It ends up being like cheap, cheap, cheap. 
it saves like $1.3 million a year cheap. Like oh and when you're talking gosh. about well. public funding and stuff like that money, but like that, you know, they did have their concerns. Um, and so it, it kind of came down to this point where they were trying to pretty much say like, should this be lit? Like the ammonia, should it be listed as an ingredient in, in the product? And yes, <laughs> Dennis R. Johnson, a top lawyer and lobbyist for the meat industry. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> represented Who BPI else? on the question of whether ammonia should be listed as an ingredient, arguing that the government had just decided against requiring another company to list a chemical used in treating poultry. No. So no, why? Are, uh, this so is frustrating. So it doesn't. It doesn't get listed as an ingredient. It is simply uh, just something that they use uh, as a way to, you know, get rid of bacteria, so they don't have sure. to list it. In early 2003, officials in Georgia returned nearly 7,000 pounds of uh, BPI products after cooks who were making a meatloaf for state prisoners detected a very strong odor of ammonia. <gasps> No way. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. So, Georgia officials assumed it was accidentally contaminated. They alerted the Agriculture Department. In their complaint, they noted that the level of ammonia in the beef was similar to levels found in contaminated incidences involving chicken and milk that had uh, gotten oh. school children sick. So That's unreal. And here's the I'm thing. I'm glad they caught that. Here's the thing. They didn't know that... BPI used ammonia because it's not listed on their ingredients. Right. How would they know? So they get this stuff in, and it smells the way that BPI is. BPI knows it smells like that. They're sending it out. They know. <laughs> but right, no. no one else knows. So they're like, whoa, this is like, this isn't good, guys. I don't know what this is. This is contaminated. So they send it back. BPI says the ammonia doesn't pose any danger um, and would dilute when the beef was mixed with other beef like it's supposed to be right like again they're making a product that's meant to be mixed in with other beef products so they're claiming you know the ammonia's fine it'll dilute and the usda it doesn't dilute just accepts it they just are like yeah bpi oh we accept gosh. our conclusion but yeah other customers complained about the smell as well so a little bit about how much uh, ammonia is in like beef naturally um, untreated beef it, it contains uh, typically it's a six on the pH scale, uh, which is near rainwater and milk. Just for an idea. Okay, that yeah, that is a good reference actually. Okay, so BPI had a study that the one that got the approval from the USDA made mm -hmm. the their meat. It raised their meat pH level to a ten, which oh my um, gosh, it's yeah, it's well Almost beyond. Almost the range of, of most foods. This is, is way high. But there's a 2003 study from the company that has issues surrounding the palatability of a pH 9.5 product. Just, again, there's that, that smell that people are talking about. So mm -hmm. soon after getting that initial approval and having some of those complaints, the company decided that they were going to make a less alkaline version of the beef so how nice of them okay. yeah so bpi acknowledges in an email exchange that it was making a lower ph version but it did not specify the level or when it began selling it mm. so no one knows there's the kicker what their proprietary ph blend is <laughs> and the and that's terrifying what got them approved is now no longer the process in action doubly terrifying so in August of 08, the school lunch program suspended the use of BPI due to a detection of a salmonella outbreak. More oh, importantly, shit. six days before that, there was a batch that had an E. coli outbreak in it as well. Thankfully, oh, shit. none of those, neither batch, made it anywhere around the children. <laughs> the company wrote in a letter that its effort to combat the ammonia aroma might have reduced the alkalinity below the initial target levels. It said it was taking steps to ensure that the alkalinity remained elevated. So the New York Times did some third-party testing, and at this time in history, they found some uh -oh. samples of the product to have a pH as low as 7.75, which is not much, much higher than the 6 that beef is already naturally at. And again, the product right. that we're talking about is very susceptible to salmonella and E. coli. BPI provided the Times with new research that the company said showed that 
that E. coli and salmonella were undetectable at a pH level of 8.5. So functionally, they're saying that like that's the number they're going for is 8.5. That's the pH level they're getting to. And that their studies show that salmonella and E. coli don't exist at that level. So the Good agriculture gosh, department okay. did not learn that BPI was using lower levels of ammonia until October of 08. How? Month. A month, month and a half after. How? And it was only because of the New York Times. And the third party testing. They sent, literally, they're in, like, they were inquiring, like, just doing their job as journalists. They were inquiring about the pH levels and stuff like that. And that's when the agriculture department found out that BPI had changed their process. (laughs) That's so stupid. Fun. Um, that's mind-boggling to me that that's yeah. how they found that out. And another thing, the like the USDA is split up, right? We've already talked a bit about right how like the school, the division that's like handling school lunches is acting independently of other parts of the USDA. So the main like USDA, the main people were not notified of the suspension of school lunch. <laughs> Official, so that like 08 incident, they weren't notified about that until way later, until like a month and a half later. That's when they found out about the that section of the USDA like suspending BPI products. That's insane. So that's yeah, I don't ag- understand that. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack, he since directed that school lunch officials are to share information about their suspensions with the department's meat safety division. Oh yeah, being like, hey, we need to know like when you guys are doing things. We can't be two heads of the you know s- same fucking monster. <laughs> so conjoin. So weird. It's crazy. School lunch officials said that in some years, BPI testing results were actually worse than many of the program's two dozen other suppliers, which use traditional meat processing methods. So from 2005 to 2009. BPI had a rate of 36 positive results for salmonella per 1,000 tests, compared to a rate of 9 positive results per 1,000 tests for the other suppliers that were more traditional. What? Yeah. Yeah. What? Again, these findings, these findings were not given to top department officials of the USDA until the New York Times presented it to them. What? also a reminder that in 07, they determined that BPI was so safe that they were not going to do regular auditing like they would for every other meat supplier. This is, but yeah, again, banana lanes to me. Thankfully, after that, that changed. After this, it changed. A year, after a year, they were like, okay, well, we'll revoke that. <laughs> they got to they they be thrown into the uh, the mix for our audits. <laughs> so oh, that, yeah, it just took all of that. So that's the issues, right? Like, we get this, we get this uh, process in development, and it's just being, and, and I don't, this is what's so difficult about this, is I really, like, after doing all this reading, I really kind of walked away not with like a very strong opinion about like, wow, look at the fucking corruption and all that. Cause I don't even necessarily know it's that. It just honestly feels like dumb people. <laughs> it just sort of feels like, <laughs> hey, listen, maybe there's more backdoor dealings. I like that was an angle that literally researching this, the public opinion on pink slime is just very, very negative. And so when you Google this product, it just is a lot of going through the weeds of like holistic websites and blogs that are Ooh, like okay. So like there, there is just a plethora of like I don't want to say misinformation, but kind of conclusion jumping that maybe isn't fully More intact, opinion right? Than... Like of yeah. course there are companies that lobby for certain legislation pieces that exist all over the place. That doesn't necessarily mean it's like an evil henchmen like you know i'm gonna ruin the world you know what i mean it's it's mainly just like how can we not deal with red tape because it makes business easier and i know that i know it seems like i'm making an excuse for them like we should think of safety first always i agree we should think of safety first 
always. But these people aren't, at least in my brain, it would be fucking stupid for them to act like to actively make a product that would kill their consumer base is dumb. Like, why would they? Fair. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Like, why would they do that? They wouldn't. They, I, to me, I don't think they're being disingenuous. I think they truly do believe that the process they have is truly, I mean, it is unique. It is proprietary. And it is, to them anyway, they truly, truly believe in it. However, when faced with the, the studies and the actual, like, breaking down of what's going on, it is very clear that they need to maybe back off the pedal a little bit. And, like, do some fucking reassessing. Mm. <laughs> like, like, the whole group maybe needs to, like, let's reassess what we're doing here. <laughs> Again, coming from the guy who loves processed foods. <laughs> loves <laughs> processed foods. So To clarify. To clarify. So that was 2001 to, like, 2009, right? Like, this is, this is, that, this is the New York Times big expose. Just, like, a lot of weird, like, we're just getting approvals based off of third party third party like testing but we're not like doing our own and i hate to say this but this is actually kind of common with the usda and even the fda to some Ooh, extent okay. because it costs money to do that stuff budgets exist in the world of the government and unfortunately they don't have limitless we're not too great at again that. this isn't an excuse this is literally me pointing out a flaw in the system I, I fully admit that this is also, an issue. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yeah, this yeah. is, like, it's a full-blown issue. Like, we need to ensure that these agencies are, one, not privy to uh, lobbying and just corruption. And then, two, making sure that, you know, it's a no-brainer. If something is on the market that we're worried about or that we even have a fucking slight, slight thing yes. about, we should feel 100% confident that, Hey, we're going to do our own testing and we're not just going to rely on the company's testing. Not that companies are always going to do bad testing. It's just if it's good testing, it will be duplicated, right? Like that's the point. Yes. So, that's that stretch. Now, 2012 and beyond. 2012 okay. is really really This is when it like this is when it opens up to the fucking zeitgeist because this is <laughs> okay. when I think all of us learned about it. Truly, Michael Moss, incredible work, probably reached plenty of people, but then it got on ABC <laughs> in 2012. And that, yes. It okay. got on ABC, and they ran their expose about pink slime. So, L, I'm going to send you a three-minute video of okay. this first episode. You let me know uh, when you're going to press play. I'm going to insert this audio for listeners so we'll all listen to it together. Okay, I'm, I'm about to watch it. And now a startling ABC News investigation. A whistleblower has come forward to tell consumers about the ground beef a lot of us buy at the supermarket. Is it what we think it is or is it padded with a filler the whistleblower calls pink slime? ABC's senior national correspondent Jim Avila set out to get answers. Gerald Zernstein grinds his own hamburger these days. Why? Because this former USDA scientist, now whistleblower, knows that 70% of the ground beef we buy at the supermarket contains something he calls pink slime. Beef trimmings that were once used only in dog food and cooking oil, now sprayed with ammonia to make them safe to eat, and then added to most ground beef as a cheaper filler. It was Zernstein who, in a USDA memo, first coined the term pink slime and is now coming forward to say he won't buy it. It's economic fraud. It's not, it's not uh, fresh ground beef. It's a, substitute, it's a cheap substitute being added in. Zernstein and his fellow USDA scientist Carl Custer both warned against using what the industry calls lean, finely textured beef and is widely known now as pink slime. But their government bosses overruled them. Why didn't you consider it beef? Because it was a salvage product. Leftovers. Fat that had been heated at low temperature and the excess fat spun out. Here's how it's done. Those waste trimmings are gathered, simmered at low heat to make it easier to separate fat from muscle, put in a centrifuge and spun to finish the separation. Next, the mixture is sent through pipes where it's sprayed with ammonia gas to kill bacteria. 
and finally compressed into bricks and flash frozen for shipment to meat packers and grocery stores where it's added to most ground beef. And it doesn't have to appear on the label because over objections of its own scientists, USDA officials with links to the beef industry labeled pink slime meat. The undersecretary said it's pink, therefore it's meat. ABC News has learned the woman who made the decision to okay the mix is former Undersecretary of Agriculture Joanne Smith, a call that led to hundreds of millions of dollars for Beef Products, Inc., the makers of pink slime. When Smith stepped down from USDA, BPI's principal supplier appointed her to the board of directors, where she made at least $1.2 million over 17 years. She did not return our calls for comment. BPI says it had nothing to do with her appointment, and the USDA says, while legal then, under current ethics rules, she could not have immediately joined that board. Jim Avila, ABC News, Washington. And we know this raises so many questions. Jim Avila is going to stay on this case. And coming up... So, how do you feel about that? I mean, I don't know how I feel about that, because I... It brought back this like very vivid, like visceral. Like I remember, people wouldn't eat like hamburgers ever. It would people would like huh? stay away from hamburgers if like you go out fast food. Chicken was the move, and then I feel like that's probably what what started the revamp of, along with healthy quote unquote fast food, but yeah, revamped yeah. beef products. Right. Um. But like, it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean. They weren't saying anything that they hadn't said already, I guess. It's not like they had just come about this conclusion. Right. And you know that after me just telling you what was right. already what was already written about. This is what makes the 2012 expose so in in like kind of odd is that this is when it goes yes. insane. But like it's already kind of information and and this is actually I'm not going to like I'm not a debunker, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time debunking ABC's stuff. Here's what I'll say. They ran an 11-part series. That was part one. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so for weeks, they were talking about pink slime on ABC. And 2012, social media was around, but we were in early days still. I consider that early right. days. We are hitting early to mid days. And they this is one of the like this is a story that really resonated with social media and it's not the first one but it's a big one it was a big one for twitter like twitter really saw a, big, yeah. a lot of increase from like 2012 to like 2018 and especially the 2016 election but like there was that increase and it kind of started around 2012 2013 and this was one of the stories that like really twitter really took mm. hold of you know McDonald's was in the crossfire. Taco Bell was. Kroger, Walmart. I so so many um, everywhere. Yeah, so many grocers. All that they were all caught into the crossfire. I mean, the statistic on the video says seventy percent of 70%. all products used it. Uh, that is apparently the number that is accurate. Uh, I I I read that it was like a figure from BPI. So that's. We're going to roll with the 70%, roughly 70% yeah, of all products right. yeah. by 2012. We're using some sort of some sort of pink slime products, quote unquote. <laughs> this was a big deal, and it was super damaging to BPI. They shut down three factories, laid off roughly 700 workers. Um, oh, wow. They lost more than $400 million in sales. They lost tons of customers after like the first week of this Holy story breaking. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so they sued ABC. <laughs> After about a year, Whoa. they sued ABC. They they lost a lot of money. Um, and this suit would include product disbargement, uh, defamation, interference with business claims. The, they claimed that ABC News made nearly 200 false, misleading, and defamatory statements. So I actually do want to talk about a couple of them just off of that video That's alone. Impressive. I didn't yeah. watch the entire series. I just watched that video. And... Here's here's one thing. I was super super interested about Joanne Smith because they mentioned yeah. they mentioned that and this is something that popped up a lot when you first research it. Again, the angle of like corruption, big angle. And like the idea is that Joanne Smith is the one who made this decision back in the 90s. It was like, "Yes, uh it's pink so it's meat," which I oh, actually yeah. could set up. Yeah. I actually couldn't find that quote, by the way. It might have happened, but 
I don't know. But apparently, you know, she's, and then she ends up on the board of BPI and makes $1.7 million or something like that. And then on the news segment, it says like that, you know, the code of ethics now wouldn't even allow her to like hold the position. Right. Be on the board. Yeah. Right. So H. Russell Cross, uh, former head of USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service, told uh, Reuters that he, not Joanne, made the decision in mid-1993 that the lean, finely textured beef was beef and therefore did not need to be labeled on the packages of ground beef. He claims that she had nothing to do with it. Interesting. Yeah. And So uh, how does she... Okay. And as I mentioned, it wasn't until 2001 that the company even secured USDA approval for its uh, the ammonia use. And then according to a document that uh, Rodas obtained through Freedom of Information Act requests, you know, it shows that like... They're not even using that uh, that ammonia process in the way that ABC's kind of angling, right? That this is what it's always been type stuff. It really wasn't that. It wasn't that until 2001. The initial process was approved in the 90s, but it wasn't that ammonia process until later. And another thing that they did that I'm going to pick at here as well, <laughs> the term mm-hmm. whistleblower is used incorrectly here. Yes. Um, Gerald Cernstein and Carl Custer. Yeah, they are not whistleblowers. Again, their dissent no. is their dissent is very like open. They were open it's about public. it. Public. It's not. Yeah. yeah. It, it was it was emailed. They had dissent immediately. And on top of that, his attorney at the time because there was a suit going on, William Marler, he told wrote us that his client said a whistleblower and a court affidavit from the retired scientist also says that ABC approached him to do the interview about BPI, not the other way around. So, so the not a whistleblower. So not a whistleblower. Or, ABC is yeah. actively looking for him as an interviewee. He didn't come to them with like, "Hey, I got a bombshell for you." <laughs> because I again, got this news story for you. This information has already been out. His dissent has already been said, and it's been right. published in the fucking Times. <laughs> like. You know, the New York one, the big one, <laughs> like the big one. Yeah. Uh, again, I like I don't want to act like BPI is totally guilt free here. But this expose by ABC, just part one, has immediate incorrect information or just slightly skewed information. Like, yes, very leading. That's that's already an issue. Like that's kind of, that's fucked up. That's bad journalism, and we should and we shouldn't let that slide. Ultimately, the problem, the real issue with this stuff is that like filing a suit on those terms, it's hard, man. Like freedom of, uh, like the freedom of the press, things like that. Defamation and stuff is already really hard to to prove. I am not a lawyer, to but prove, yeah. if you uh, actually a good resource, like go check out Legal Eagle. It's a channel on YouTube. Great information just genuinely about kind of how hard it is uh, to prove defamation and things like that. I believe uh, he recently did one with the um, the Fox News Tucker Carlson debacle in terms of like disinformation, things like that. And um, okay. the voting machines, that whole thing. Dominion, and, yeah. and he okay. kind of walks through just like, granted, that suit ends in a ended in a in a out of court, but in a big settlement but he even mentioned how hard it would be for something that seems so obvious to to actually be like provable in court. Yeah. But on uh, June 28, 2017, a lot of years later, um, ABC and BPI <laughs> reached a settlement that ended the suit. The terms of the settlement were not disclosed, but a Walt Disney earnings report indicated that the amount was paid um, of at least $177 million. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a lot, but not really. Um, because, again, I cannot... Not how much they lost. I cannot express enough how big of a deal that this this 11-part series was on the food industry as a whole. Um, several U.S. food manufacturer, uh, manufacturers publicly stated that they did not use the product in their wares, including uh, Con Arga Foods, uh, Sarah Lee, Kraft. Yeah, many meat retailers stated that they either did not use it or they would cease using it. A lot of fast food chains stopped using the product wow. after the controversy. Yeah. Um, again, this all impacts BP, BPI's bottom line, truly. And they said it that they had not used the product before. And April 2012, the Concord Monitor reported increased business in some small neighborhood markets where products uh, where the product's use was less likely 
due to concerns from the consumers. So people were shopping at smaller markets um, to avoid it. Many grocery stores and supermarkets uh, announced in March 2012 that they would no longer sell products containing the additive. Um, And then some grocery companies and restaurants and school districts discontinued the sale and provision of beef containing the additive after the media reports. Yeah, the reports show that a year after the 2012 breakout story, the use of LFTB went from 70% to just 5% in the market. That's absurd. That is an insane turnaround. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, my God. Again, cannot state enough how big of an impact that story had. But, listen, memories are short. They are very short. Slowly but surely, BPI, they started to get some customers back, and they actually started a campaign called, Dude, It's Ground Beef. No way. And as of 2018, LFTB is now labeled as ground beef officially by the USDA. No. Not an additive, not as LFTB. It is full-blown known as ground beef. No way. This happened after a six-month audit process from the USDA that got the label change. Um, BPI says it's because their process has continued to change and improve over the years. And that I don't necessarily doubt. Um, Not that I think BPI is like some (laughs) incredible company that's like super honest and awesome. Just that like, it's been a long time. It's been over 10 years. Like it would make sense. And even at that time, it was encroaching 10 years. It would make sense that, yeah, things have gotten a little bit better. The processes may be a little bit faster um, just overall, like it's probably a cleaner and more organized process. And, you know, and as much as there was close calls to the salmonella and the E. coli outbreaks and things like that, mm-hmm. they, the, there were actually never any outbreaks that led back to BPI specifically. I mean, foodborne outbreaks are really hard to track down anyway, like really hard to track down. But just specifically, like those things got caught before they even went to market because of their safety testing. Like they test an X amount of batches every like, you know, so many right, that they do. To, yeah. Like it's it's a thing that they're trying to catch the the mistakes they're making. Again, I'm not saying that the meat industry is some you know, altruistic, kind, gentle force that's just looking out for us. (laughs) But it makes sense for them to try and not cause recalls and flack on their business end. Why would they want... That part doesn't make sense, yes. Why would they want to infect a bunch of consumers to then have to shut down their company? Like, what's the purpose of that? There isn't one. It's a very short-end game if that's the whole if they're like evil and they don't care so they do care they just don't want the red tape that is personally i believe needed to ensure that things are keeping yes you know uh, uh up to up to snuff I, I will say that again i don't doubt that this has happened but i really couldn't find anything about the changes again there were some improvements just in general i don't think it happened at this specific time, but there's improvements over how quickly they were able to get it frozen. And like, so there's like the technology's better and the, and the equipment's better. The machinery's updated and better, but that's kind of, maybe that's it. Maybe that's all that really was needed to just overall make it a better process. There's actually a good article from Joe Fassler on the counter. And uh, again, I'll, I'll post it. Uh, He actually reached out to BPI to try and figure out what, change and the only responses he kind of got were these boilerplate like spokesman kind of stuff um here's i'll I'll just give one of them he ends up getting like three or four i'll just give one of them but just go like read the article and you'll kind of see so this he, he reaches out and this is the first response he gets uh for over 30 years bpi has continuously improving its expertise to deliver lean wholesome nutritious and sustainable beef As our capabilities continued to evolve and improve, we pursued more consumer-oriented means of delivering this value to our customers and in doing so have created even better products. As part of that evolution, last year we engaged USDA to conduct a thorough review of our lean beefs labeling. 
After an extensive review, which included on-site evaluation of BPI's production process and the results of taste panels and consumer surveys provided by BPI, USDA concluded that our lean beef would be properly labeled as ground beef. That means no. nothing. That means nothing. <laughs> that was a fluff of a statement. Yeah, it's just it's just fluff. It's just like de- de- default response. Thanks for reaching out. Default response. <laughs> um yeah, in the article he goes on to say that, you know, he gets some positive response after emailing back saying like, "Oh, you'll be able to talk to our like director of uh like, you know, commerce or whatever and then sure, that ends yeah. up falling through. It just kind of, they just kind of ran ran around the goalpost a little bit before he ended up just publishing his article. So, you know, it's a bit of a bummer, but like if that guy couldn't get it, then I'm not going to try and email BPI. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, maybe it is better just because of the stuff. And again, uh, I don't know the full extent of that like audit and what that is. It sounds extensive, even from that boilerplate kind of response, but we don't have a very good history with the USDA and BPI so far. It's a right. lot of like USDA just being like, BPI is cool, man. <laughs> like, so who knows? <laughs> they passed the vibe check. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, but that's it. Elf, that's uh, Pink Slime in all of its glory. Um, like I oh said. Oh my gosh. I super, super recommend, uh, recommend checking out the show notes here. Just really awesome work uh, done by the journalists that I pulled from. I mean, literally one of them won a Pulitzer for it. So, so, so that's how you know it's quality. Yeah, go check it out. Um, and I also just want to give final thoughts, which is something we haven't really done uh, for this season. But again, I've been kind of riding the line on this whole thing. I'm not coming down hard yeah. on any one side, and that may seem like uh, chicken shit. But, <laughs> but I think the I think the the real reason why. Is because again, I I know that lobbying lobbying happens. Like I understand that right. there that there can be corruption, and I understand that things are privy to failing. And I know that our our uh, systems of, of food are, are not invulnerable. Like they are super vulnerable, actually, incredibly so. But I just worry about the immediate and just really ultra reactive response of like, look how evil these guys are. Look at how corrupt the USDA is and the FDA. They're all just meat lobby people. They all just have ties in with all the meat connections and nothing ever gets done. When in reality, just like if you look at the arc of how safe food has become and just. Sure. And and even the examples of. Put it on that lens. Even the examples of the fact that this story was written in 2009. So Mm -hmm. things were exposed, right? Like. Things got caught. And that's always my point is like, is the, again, if you look at time, it, it usually, right, when we have good processes in place, even if they're flawed, if they're good, they can kind of work themselves out and we can keep making progress. And I think that's kind of what is the deal with this. Like, if you yeah. don't want to eat this shit, don't eat it. That's fine. Don't eat hot dogs. Don't eat fucking mcdonald's whatever don't eat it i don't care like who cares i just personally me myself i don't think this is some big story of corruption and like you know i just again i just pinpoints of system failure that we need to address and i think i think in some ways has been addressed i don't know the full process but a six month process seems a hell of a lot longer than whatever the fuck happened in 01 (laughs) <laughs> where it was like right like 90 minutes where it was like oh hey we got two studies from them and we're good we're good we're good That's send it. it full send send, send it. it like you know if the usda is visiting this center and like auditing this whole process it seems like it's a lot more thorough this time around so i don't know it seems yeah, and, and to me anyway it seems like it ended on a higher note and again i don't i don't think like the people that are running bpi are like evil i you know yeah, maybe a little like short-sighted and like company focused, but I don't think they're, you know, outwardly trying to harm people. And something I haven't mentioned is and this is kind of a perk that this process actually uses more cow per cow. Right, technically, yeah. Like, you're technically using more of the yeah. Yeah, product. like like you're get like this is I 
I, I wish I put the numbers down um, because it did actually like state the numbers. I'm pretty sure it's it it's a good chunk like infraction wise like of how much of of the cow it is. So like it's it's it it actually does make us better in terms of that in terms of like usage per cow usage yeah saves us money on that end again if you don't want to eat it don't eat it i get it who cares but i personally i don't know yeah shit. <laughs> i think no to that point i think that's something kind of like as you were talking i kind of came to the conclusion as well it's like if people want to eat it people are gonna like let them eat it but i but to that point it's like just label it that's the part that gets me yeah like just say what what it is yeah and i yeah yeah but no, to that and, point, and that, I mean, that's something when I was reading all this stuff, I really like kept kind of coming back to myself. It's just like, fucking just label it, man. You look more guilty. I think that's what makes them look the most guilty. Yeah. What makes them look is. the most guilty is just like their fucking allergic reaction to like red tape. It's just like, oh, if we had to label that, we used ammonia. Oh, if we have to label it as this, it's like, just do it. <laughs> and I think you mentioned it earlier because. Like, yes, like you might have some initial like shock and consumer behavior, but people have fucking goldfish size attention spans. So it's like after a while, I mean, you said it yourself after a while, business partners started coming back, you know, they weren't as successful as they were beforehand, of course, but it didn't exactly like railroad them so much. Like they're obviously still in business. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. And I mean, I don't know, you know, and (laughs) It truly is like if if you eat Hot Pockets, if you look on the back of Hot Pockets, it straight up just tells you like, yeah, mechanically separated chicken, mechanically separated fucking beef or whatever. Like it tells you outright like, yo, we used chemicals to get all the meat in this fucking product. Right. Like, yeah. And that's all that it, that's all that matters. That's it. Just put it. Just put it down. And people are either going to go for it or not. Like, mm-hmm. and I think that's the only thing. That's really the only hang-up for me. It's just like, guys, yeah, just fucking, like, just label it. Just put it on the labels. If you're honest with the consumers, you're always going to have the group of people that, like, holistic, like, don't do this, don't eat that, like, look at what science is doing to God-given food. Like, you're always going to have that. Like, that noise is always going to live in, in the world. But, like... <laughs> If you're just honest with everyone else, the rest of us will just make the decision on a personal level, not even a hard conviction, just like a very baseline, like, ah, I mean, they're going <laughs> to consume it or not. <laughs> like, that's it. And so it's just, yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, that's the pink slime scandal. Um, L, it's time. Do you have yeah. a wreck your beehole? No. It's really simple, basic. I might actually been the last one, so I might be doubling up, but mine's going to be, it's starting to get a little a little colder outside it's like 67 degrees the other morning it was 67 degrees the other morning taking taking the dog out for a walk i was like i need a i need a long sleeve so go outside it's starting to get cold if, it's if the, the air quality is good around you it's beginning to look a lot like christmas um <laughs> hang on hang on hang on we got a few months before then hang on <laughs> tim what's yours so uh my wreck your b-hole is two be more appreciative. Oh, so I'm going to go on a bit of a thing here. Classic. <laughs> Classic Tim. <laughs> I was at work the other day and I was cleaning hot equipment like the two grills and the oven and just greasy, gross shit. And, uh, you know, food. <laughs> um, and food. I had a really bad night of sleep. I was super <laughs> fucking tired. And as I was cleaning... And I was in a bad mood. Um, I had a moment of realizing that at some point in my life, I am not mm-hmm. going to be in that kitchen anymore. I am not going to clean that gear anymore. I, I will do that for the last time at some point. And I'm not going to know when it's the last time. Because you never do. You never know you never yep. when something is your last time. So even bad things, bad quote unquote again like there are limits to this if <laughs> i'm not i'm not yeah. saying Time that out. if your house limits. blows up you should be outside going wow that house huh like no be upset if you want to be upset um but what i did is just like i recognized that one i was in a bad mood and i recognized that i was kind of like staying in that mood because 
that's how it works. Like if you're in a bad mood, you can only stay in a bad mood if you want to be in a bad mood. It's just the way it is. Um, That's true. And then the other thing was just like, yeah, that like even things that maybe aren't the most pleasant in my life, I look back on them with a sort of reverence. And I mean everything, uh, whether it was when I... Uh, when my dad passed or, or some of the tougher times in my childhood, mm-hmm. even like when I talk about that stuff, it's it's from a point of like almost pride. It's like this growth, this thing that I look at and I'm like, like, I grew from that. And so even during bad things, you just take time, take a breath, take a moment and look and just be like, this could be the last time you're doing this thing. And even if that's good, like who wants to fucking clean grills and greasy food no one but like it means something <laughs> it means something that like you'll at one point in your life you're gonna look back and you're like oh i did that and i remember doing that and it was true. so yeah. vivid and fun and so doubly so if you're having a good time doubly do it if you're having a good time if you're out hiking or if you're with uh next time you're having fun next time you're having dinner with a with friends or loved one or your spouse or whatever just take a moment and think to yourself, there will be a last day of this. You won't know when it's going to be. So just in, like really fucking take it in. Just really fucking take it in. That's a good one, Tim. Yeah. When you wake That's up, do it when you wake up. You wake up next to someone, look over at them and realize one day you're not going to do that anymore. So just appreciate it. That's my wreck. Appreciate it. That's good. That's a good one. Um. All right. End of the episode now that I, I'm off my high horse. <laughs> 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 I'm off my fucking like... You know, that was a good horse. Though. I'm becoming, I'm, I'm becoming insufferable. Huh? <laughs> so, guys, welcome to the end of the episode. Uh, this has been Where Does Food, man? This, with this uh, food history podcast that we make, uh, and we don't really release as frequently as we should, but we try our best. You can follow uh-huh. us on um, Instagram. We're actually at Where Does Food. We'll post whenever we drop an episode over there. Um, you can follow me on threads and Instagram, um, at Tim underscore and underscore Winston. Again, you follow me there. You'll, uh, one, get some of my insights and pictures of Winston. And two, when we drop an episode, I post it there and you can follow L on the hellscape website. Twit. Oh no, it's, it's X.com. It sounds so bad now. Uh, L Chapo, L three underscores between them. Chapo. You can find her on X. That's so funny. Formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. Jeez. You say it like that. <laughs> yeah, formerly known as Twitter. X. Um, that's what he should have named it. <laughs> it should have been that long, <laughs> mouthy fucking that thing. That long name. <laughs> yes. Yeah, go that to... That would have been better. Go to X, formerly known as Twitter.com. This is why Elon Musk sucks. He's not as creative as I am. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so we have a so we have a website. <laughs> yeah, you can go to you can go to our website. Um, it's a pretty cool one. It's shows.acast.com forward slash where does food. Uh, on that website, we have a supporter button that you can support us with. Just throwing a little bit of money our way. You get episodes a day early when we release them, so that's pretty cool. Um, also, if you hear cool. this music, we have a. I have a bud. We have a bud that we uh, that we chat with, and uh, he helps us make music sometimes. Even though uh, he didn't make this specific one, uh, he's helped me in the past with it. His name is Austin <laughs> Martin. Check out Meridian Sky on Spotify and Apple. Check he it out. An album about fucking three or four weeks ago at this point, almost a month at this point. Um, yeah, check him out. It's uh, it's great stuff. So, yeah, do that. Also, guys, please uh, leave five-star reviews uh, or don't. Five-star reviews, just leave reviews. Just, like, whatever you think. Just leave them. Um, drop the review. and <laughs> That helps tremendously. <laughs> also, word of mouth is a big deal, man. Um, take your words. Put it in someone's mouth about the podcast. I think that's how that works, yes. Yeah, go up to them, open their mouth, and then you say words into their mouth. That's what word of mouth means. So just do that. Um, do and that. they will for sure want to listen to this podcast. Just tell them if they like um, episodes about food history, great. Do they like people that get on high horses? Great. Do they like when <laughs> weird characters come on every once in a while sporadically five seasons in? Three for three. First time three ever. Three for three. Great. They're into it. They'll love this podcast. So, you know... <laughs> Just, just put it on and, uh, you just know. Just throw it on there. It'll yeah. be good. 
Let people enjoy it. Um, either way, <laughs> that's the end of the podcast, guys. Uh, man, we are <laughs> almost done with season five. So yeah, get ready after this after this episode. Get ready for our next one, and uh, that's going to be oh my our goodness. season five finale. And then we're going to take a hiatus like we always do, but I'll discuss that more in the next episode about our hiatus and what that looks like and all that stuff. So, yeah, stay tuned. Either way, see ya.